0: Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to investigate the scriptures with us for the next few moments as we ponder the great issues of life and immortality and human destiny. It remains a basic fact of Bible study that we must orient ourselves to the Jewish environment in which Jesus taught. The basic terminology of Jesus' message, the Kingdom of God, the life of the coming age, to be saved, and so on, all take their meaning from the Jewish environment in which Jesus taught. The idea of the kingdom of God is the most basic and most fundamental of all words in Jesus' teaching. Jesus' teaching was developed within the setting of contemporary Jewish first-century thought. Jesus maintained the essential elements and structure of that Jewish thinking. He never questioned for a moment the basics of Jewish thinking because they were based themselves on the Hebrew Bible, which Jesus and his Jewish contemporaries regarded as a divine revelation from the one God of Israel. Like his contemporaries, Jesus believed that there was coming a new world order of peace on the earth. That new age would follow the present evil age. Jesus and the early Christians divide time into two major blocks. There's the present evil age, Galatians 1, 4, of which Satan is the God, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, but there's coming a new age of the kingdom, the age to come. Look, for example, at Matthew chapter 12, verse 32. Jesus spoke of sins, certain terrible sins, which could not be forgiven either in this age or in the age which is to come. The Christian plan of salvation is based on that two-age system, the present evil age which will exist until the return of Christ in power and glory to set up his kingdom, and following that great time, the day of the Lord, when Jesus intervenes as representative of God his Father, there will come the new age of the kingdom of God. And what Christians are urged to pursue, what they're invited to take into their hearts as the supreme goal, and objective of their lives is the quest of the kingdom of God. Matthew six thirty three says it plainly. Seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus said, and all its righteousness, and all these other necessary things to do with food and clothing and so on, will be added to you. But make the kingdom of God your first priority in life. Let that kingdom be the thing that occupies your thinking. Let that kingdom be the thing which is the object of your evangelism as you spread the good news of God's coming kingdom in your circle of friends and among your family and your relatives. Do you remember Paul's words to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4? Spread the good news of the kingdom. Preach it and proclaim it in season and out of season. The time is coming when they will not put up with sound doctrine, but they will be turned to fables and myths kingdom of God was the heart and the center of the apostolic gospel. Jesus opened his ministry by proclaiming the fact of the coming kingdom. The kingdom of God is on the horizon, he said. It's near. It's at hand. It's coming soon. Prepare by repenting, changing your mind, and orientating yourself to a new future, that grand future by which you may gain a place in the kingdom of God when Jesus returns to this earth. That kingdom of God will be the time of the new world order, the new age of human history on this earth. It's quite untrue to say that time comes to an end when Jesus returns. No, one age ends and another will begin. It is the age of the future kingdom of God on earth. Unfortunately, in our older translations, that word age was obscured in translation. It was rendered by the word world. For example, in Matthew 24, verse 3, The question of the disciples appears as follows, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? That's a most misleading translation, a considerable mistranslation. The Greek there says, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age, the present evil age, to be followed by the new age of the kingdom, and that new age of the kingdom will be introduced by the return of Jesus in power and glory. According to Jesus' very simple view of history, there will be a transition from one order to the next, and this will take place at the moment when the Son of Man, Jesus, the supernatural Messiah, will appear on the clouds of heaven, escorted by hosts of angels. The Messiah will then take up his seat on the throne of David in the kingdom of God, and the final destiny of our world will be in his hands. Some will be admitted to the kingdom of God at that time, while others will be doomed to destruction. Not, I want to add, to the appalling notion of eternal torment, but to destruction, annihilation. Most of us are horrified at the prospect of pulling the leg off a spider or torturing a cat for thirty seconds, and yet we seem to be quite undisturbed by the notion of a God of compassion who is preparing to torment his creatures literally forever and ever and ever. If you'll examine the evidence of the Bible carefully, and a number of leading scholars now understand this well, the Bible does not propose eternal torture for the wicked, but annihilation. Of course, that's a terrible destiny, a terrible doom to be destroyed, but it's a merciful release from the idea of perpetual torture and torment. I must point out to you that Jesus in many respects held the same idea as his contemporary Jews. He believed that the one and only thing that really mattered in life was that men should know and realize the conditions necessary to ensure their admission and entrance into the kingdom of God at that critical moment of the future advent of the Messiah and the day of judgment. Jesus' view of the future was essentially simple. It was Jesus' belief, along with the Jews of his time, that the kingdom of God will be established upon the earth when God intervened decisively and ultimately to triumph over his enemies and to introduce a period of unparalleled prosperity and peace on this earth. That was the national hope of Israel, based on the revelation given by the prophets of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. The story was simply this that when in the future events had proved that it was no longer possible to hope that political engineering, based on man's best efforts, would produce the necessary solution, then, at that time, after a period of great tribulation, God would intervene on behalf of his people and take charge of world government by placing it in the hands of his representative, the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. The biblical hope is essentially religious, but it's also political at the same time. There's no distinction between religious and political, that distinction that we so commonly make today. In the Bible, the political solution is also the religious solution, and that solution is the sending of Messiah from heaven to establish an era of peace in the kingdom of God on the earth. That new world to be expected in the kingdom of God is described by two equivalent terms, either the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of heaven positively does not mean a kingdom in heaven. That's one of the great misunderstandings current among many Bible students. The kingdom of heaven is exactly the same as the kingdom of God. Both phrases mean the kingdom which will be divinely instituted on this earth. You have only to read it in Daniel 2, verse 44. At that time when the beast-like kingdoms of our present man-made systems are annihilated, then and then only God will set up a kingdom. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom which can never be destroyed. Daniel 2 verse 44. And the God of heaven setting up a kingdom means, of course, the coming of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom from heaven, the kingdom that will be backed by heaven, by God himself, a divine institution, a new world revolutionary government to be established on this earth by Messiah returning in power and glory. That's what's meant by the kingdom of God. It's the goal of human history and the goal for you as an individual as you seek to gain a place in that kingdom. Come ye blessed, Jesus said in Matthew 25, enter and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. In other words, the kingdom of God has been what God has had in mind since the very beginning. Ever since man disrupted, under the influence of Satan, disrupted God's plan and destroyed himself, bringing death on mankind from the start by listening to the lies of the devil, ever since that time, God has had in mind a grand restoration program. And that program will culminate in the arrival of Jesus the Messiah at his second coming. Christianity, therefore, is a preparation for admittance into that kingdom when it comes. Seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus said. Seek it now with all urgency. Prepare your life and prepare your hearts and minds with a view to attaining to the great goal which God has created you for, namely to become an immortal co-regent with Jesus the Messiah, In that future kingdom. I must emphasize that the kingdom of heaven is positively not a kingdom which is or will be in heaven. It's the reign of him who is in heaven, but it's the reign of him who will come from heaven, Jesus Christ returning to this earth. Blessed are the meek, Jesus said, they're going to have the earth as their inheritance. Jesus is coming to be king of the earth and to rule from Jerusalem page after page, text after text, and book after book, in our Hebrew Bible particularly, states this fact about the coming kingdom of God on the earth with absolute certainty. It is only by the application of a mystical and figurative method of so-called interpretation that those obvious truths of the Bible can be gotten rid of. It's an unfortunate thing but with the advent of a certain church father, his name was Origen, there began to be an application of figurative and metaphorical methods of interpretation by which the plain meaning of the text could be dissolved and destroyed. Many Bible readers have unconsciously inherited that false method of Bible study by which plain texts referring to the coming kingdom of God on the earth are abolished, are stifled, are dissolved into thin air, are made to mean something which they did not originally mean. That's the great tragedy of very much Bible study and much church going. According to the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, Christians are to look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. But that new heaven and new earth is depicted for us in the 65th chapter of Isaiah. And there you'll find that it's talking of a society on earth and there will be mortals surviving in that new heaven and new earth. They'll be building houses, they'll be bearing children, they'll be living to a minimum of a hundred years old, and yet they'll be supervised by a group of immortals at that time, forming the kingdom of God. The Christians and believers of all ages will be immortalized by the event of the second coming and the resurrection of the dead, and they will then supervise a new society on earth, Read it in Hebrews 2, verse 5. God has not subjected to angels the economy of the future about which we're speaking. Hebrews 2, verse 5. We're talking there of an inhabited earth of the future. That's the scene of the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek, they're going to inherit the earth and rule in that earth as kings with Jesus. A new society of humanity will be born At the time of the second coming, we invite you to request from us our free book on the kingdom of God. Remember that Jesus was a Jew who must be studied in his own Jewish environment. Join us again as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.